The Ten Commandments go full circle. It starts with, Thou shalt have no other gods. It's against idolatry. And this Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet, Paul the Apostle says, Which is idolatry? And so they begin with idolatry, and they end with the problem of man making his own God and wanting his own way. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher. We're on the air again to bring you the message of God's Word. We're coming to the final part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. One of the most difficult of all of God's commandments, because it goes right into the heart. It goes right into the desires of our very being. Who, walking around them all, cannot be in, to some degree, guilty of coveting. And there are times when we have to walk out of the store, and we know it's beyond our budget, we know that it's beyond our lifestyle, and it doesn't suit and it doesn't work, but we were very impressed with particular product or article in the store. This cuts right to where we're at in our everyday lives. Thou shalt not covet. And I hope that you'll stay tuned with us right through the program as we get to that message. We have a hymn, Take the Name of Jesus with you, and we're turning to the book of Romans again, chapter 2, for this question. Why does Paul introduce the issue of circumcision as an argument against the Jew who did not keep the law? Well, let me just say a few words, and then I'll read the passage. The outward rite of circumcision was a mark of the spiritual status of the Jew, but it became a matter of pride without a new heart. Uh, we know that true circumcision is really regeneration of the heart, and it is a real work of God's Spirit making a man a child of God or a spiritual son of Abraham. Let me read to you these verses, Romans 2, verse 27, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision dost transgress the law? For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And so this matter of Paul telling a Jew that he cannot rest in his physical circumcision tells us that he needed to be born again. He needed a new heart. And the outward sign made no difference if the heart was not changed. We can apply this to baptism. We can apply it to the Lord's table. We can apply it to so many things. But the truth is that except you are born again, all the rites, ceremonies, all the trappings of religion will never 
save your soul. And so I would beg you to go to Romans chapter 2 and read that for yourself. And I trust the Lord will lead you to realize the need for true conversion. Now we're turning to our message and song, Take the Name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you, take it then wherever you go. Precious name, oh how sweet, oh breath and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. The Ten Commandments go full circle. It starts with, Thou shalt have no other gods. It's against idolatry. And this Tenth Commandment, Thou shalt not covet, Paul the Apostle says, which is idolatry. And so they begin with idolatry, and they end with the problem of man making his own God and wanting his own way. This Tenth Commandment teaches us that sin is not only in our actions, but it is in our desires our thoughts, and the very intents of the heart. And this is a very searching commandment. Of all the ten, this is the most searching. Because covetousness is a sin against God's goodness, it's against His providence, and in many cases it is against His law. It is to desire things which God forbids. This commandment, as I say, is the most searching. It searches our hearts to inquire into the very motives, the desires, as well as the actions. 
We may ask, what is coveting? What does it mean to covet? Well, it can simply mean to let the world into your heart. A ship can be doing very well on the water, but when the water gets into the ship, it is in immediate danger of sinking. One of the finest Puritan writers, Thomas Watson, give us a number of examples of the spirit of coveting. One of them, he likens it to a hedgehog. Now, hedgehogs, I suppose they're more in Europe than they are in this part of the world. But a hedgehog would go into a rabbit's burrow, and of course, it would go in all friendly and nice. And then when it gets into the burrow, it just rolls over, curls up, and puts all the prickly parts out so that the rabbit can no longer inhabit the burrow. It becomes a place where he is pushed out. Covetousness displaces, and it goes beyond its proper boundaries. The Lord Jesus talked about the good seed being choked by the thorns, by the cares of this life. Covetousness, the desire to gain riches in this world, and many in that game end up becoming choked. People's hearts become hardened, and the ear for the Word of God is lost. If I may quote Thomas Watson again, he said that you may as well try to get elephants to fly as covetous men to live and walk by faith. Covetousness, therefore, is a great problem, for it is so linked, linked to the love of money. And we know that the love of money is the root of all evil. It is that insatiable and endless desire to get. It has been called a mother's sin. It is the mother of so many other sins and the cause of many sins. Indeed, Thomas Watson's treatment of this subject, he goes right down the line of each one of the commandments and shows how covetousness, first of all, it breaks the first commandment because it makes a god out of this world and the things of this world. And right on down the line, every sin can be broken due to covetousness. Now, undoubtedly, it's hated by God because a king hates to see his own statue abused. And when God sees man craving, lusting after materialism and the things of this world with an insatiable passion, that is the misuse of what God created us for. Therefore, we're told in the Bible that the covetous man will never be in heaven. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 5, This ye know that no homemonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And that's what made me want to read that account of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Here is the thing that exposed the sin motive within that young man's heart. 
He claimed that he knew the law of God, and he kept the God's commandments from his youth up. He could not see wherein he was far from God until the Lord put to him the most searching of all things, sell what you have and give to the poor, and then you will have the kingdom of God. And that really put the finger on the issue of that rich young ruler. And the Lord concluded, and he said this to his disciples, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because the spirit of covetousness is in his heart. And the Lord went on to teach that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And so to be a Christian, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, and to be a member of God's kingdom, his spiritual heavenly kingdom, we need to have that spirit of covetousness broken. We need to be changed from being an idol of the world or making an idol of the world and truly serving the Lord only. Uh, the disciples, in response to that, they said, well, who then can be saved? And the Lord said, with men it is impossible. Why? Because the world is so in man's heart. And you know when you talk to people about the need of the gospel and the need of salvation, very often the response is, I don't need this. I have this. I, I have control of my life, and everything is in place. I have no need. The answer that the Lord Jesus gave—and let me go back—let us all go back, please, to Matthew chapter 19 and to verse 28. I think it's important for us just to follow through on how the Lord applied this. Uh, we see the truth of it, but let's see what use the Lord made of this whole matter. This young man turning down the kingdom of God because—and he went away very sorrowful. There was obviously a uh, a tug of war going on. His heart was torn, but the decision he made was for the world. The world got the victory in that young man's heart. He went away very sorrowful. And you'll notice in verse 28 how the Lord Jesus um, followed up. Now, let's go back to verse 27. Peter said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And so they could see the issue. They could see that this rich young ruler went away having chosen the world, but they had left everything. They'd left their nets, their boats, their fishing, their careers, and they had given up everything to follow the Lord. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, this regeneration is when the world is wrapped up, and God will sit on the throne, and the saints will judge the world with Christ. That is, when this world ends, judgment will take place, and God will judge the world, and Christ will be on that throne, and we shall reign with him. What a difference! And the key to overcoming covetousness. The answer to covetousness is 
a gospel mind, a kingdom mind, that fixes our hearts on not earthly things, not the temporal, the visual, but the eternal. And that day in the regeneration when we will reign with Christ, when gold will be worthless, silver will be worthless, bank stocks will mean nothing, and all those riches that men crave after and lust after with such passion, breaking every commandment along the way, doesn't matter who they destroy and who they offend, they must have that thing that they're after with that awful passion of covetousness. Then we need a heavenly mind. So this is now the antidote to covetousness. The way to overcome covetousness is to get your heart and mind well fixed on the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Perhaps we don't dwell enough on that. Perhaps we return to the things of this world and we we serve mammon and we serve earth all too quickly because we lose sight of the wonderful riches that we have through the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I just noticed recently as I've been reading the book of Ephesians that as Paul lays out the plan of the gospel, he uses that word riches over and over. Let's turn to that in Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1 verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. And then verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance. We get so bogged down in the muck and mire of this world And those things that men call earthly riches, well, they're not even a speck in light of the inheritance and the riches that are ours through the Lord. Chapter 2, 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And chapter 3, verse 8, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. And the word riches just seems to come up again and again and again in this presentation of the gospel. But we don't always see them. We don't appreciate them as we should. And what a mercy, what a a benefit this is as we bear the setbacks of this world, the disappointments, the ups and downs, even the poverty and the the stock market crash and the, the financial turmoil the world so often is. It seems they're always teetering the edge of a crisis. And the riches of this world are so, well, who gets them? Very few very few. And we need to fix our hearts on those riches that are in heaven. And therein the rich young man, rich young ruler went wrong. He, because he was earthly rich, turned down the eternal riches that are in 
the Lord. Let's see that as an awful mistake. Let's see that as a tragedy in his life. He was so close. I think it was Dr. Paisley that preached a sermon with a title, The Man Who Kissed the Door of Heaven and Went to Hell, The Rich Young Ruler. And the Lord was there to receive him, but he walked away loving the riches of this world more than the riches of glory. Another antidote to covetousness is to realize that earthly things never satisfy. It's like drinking salt water. I remember reading about men who were out in a boat off the Amazon, and they were, had run out of water for days. And all around them, they had come into the mouth of the Amazon River. They were in fresh water, but they didn't know it. And they were afraid that if they were to drink the salt water, it would only uh, increase the awful thirst that they were enduring. And when men drink salt water, it kills them. This world, no matter how much you get, no matter how plentiful the supply, it always makes men thirsty for more. There's a great text in Ecclesiastes 3.11 where it talks about God has put the world in the heart of man. Many translations use the word eternity in that text. God has put eternity in the heart of man. A man has this sense that there's more to just life, born, live, die, and just the date of your birth and the date of your death and the dash in between, and that's it. All men know there's more. And God has put eternity in the heart of man. And the things of this world never fully satisfy. No matter how long you live, no matter what riches you gain, no matter what accomplishments you have, there is eternity in the heart of man that only the gospel of Christ can fulfill. The things of this earth will never satisfy. You may as well try to satisfy a fish out of water because there can be no enjoyment of life but in that state. A wise older man asked a little boy, and he said, when does a man have enough money? And of course, the little boy, he started off low, and he said a hundred, and then he said a thousand, no, two thousand, no, ten thousand, no, twenty, and then he jumped up to a hundred thousand. And in the boy's mind, he thought that was just a colossal figure. And the older man answered, a man is satisfied when he has just a little more, a little more. No figure is ever enough. When Alexander the Great conquered the known world, it said that he wept because he had no more countries to conquer. All the kingdoms and the empires that he had toppled and claimed didn't satisfy the rashness and the, and the gratification of his heart. He was still unsatisfied. So remember that, that the antidote against covetousness is the riches of heaven, which do satisfy and will satisfy for all eternity, that this earth, no matter how much you ever get of it, will never satisfy because it's like salt water. Thirdly, another antidote to covetousness is to know that God has set bounds 
as a loving heavenly Father to the things we may have. Now, it's not wrong to desire. Coveting means to desire after what is not rightfully ours or what is not due to us. But God has ordained proper desires. In the Proverbs, you read of Solomon saying, "'Give me neither poverty nor riches.'" There is no merit in selling out, giving everything away, and living as a hermit or a monk or in some cloister in poverty. You only become a burden to other people. The, the prayer of the wise man is, "'Don't give me poverty,' because in that state, I'm not only a burden myself, but I'm a burden to others. But Lord, I'm not praying to be a rich man, that I might have all the luxuries of life, but just satisfy those needs. Now, remember that in this commandment, thou shalt not covet, what is the first thing that is put? Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Now, it's not wrong to be married. It's not wrong to have your own wife, but it's wrong to covet, to lust, or desire someone else's wife. And so, in this commandment, God has drawn boundaries over those things that are rightfully ours, God's will is that we have marriage. Every man have his own husband. Every wife have her own husband. Uh, that is the will of God. That is right and proper. But when we break that boundary, we commit this tenth commandment. God may have given you a home and whatever property you possess, but if you are lusting and discontented and watching over the fence to see what your neighbor or someone else owns, and that makes you greedy and graspy and discontented, then we end up breaking this commandment. Thank you for joining with us on the program today. May the Lord stir your heart and bless you richly, and I pray that there will be a uh, much grace, much of the blessing of God upon your own soul that you might live for God. Where are you going? asked an unbeliever of a boy. I'm going to Sunday school, replied the boy cheerily. Why are you going to Sunday school? To learn about God, said the boy. How do you know there is a God? questioned the unbeliever. Why, sir, my Sunday school teacher knows him. Do you so present God to others that they know that he is a living reality to you. Aren't we each commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make our God known to a lost world? May the Lord be with you until we let the Bible speak again. Stay tuned now for these few final announcements. Welcome to our program today, and you are listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. I truly hope that you're blessed each time that you tune into our programs on this station, and my prayer is that God will use His Word to bring precious souls to personal faith in the gospel. We want this to be God's means to building His church and blessing His people. Our burden is to get the gospel out according to the Great Commission. 
where the Lord has sent his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we don't get too political or too hung up on pressing trends, but seek to preach Christ in all his fullness for men in all their need. Our message is based on the great Reformation sola doctrines of salvation by Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, based on the Bible alone, for the glory of God alone. And you can understand that radio ministry is very much a ministry of faith as we air programs not knowing who is listening. We therefore need your feedback and comments. You can find us on Facebook at Let the Bible Speak Canada and there leave us a comment. You can go to our website, ltbs.ca and send us an email or probably best of all, go to our phone number 604-897-2040 and I will personally take your call. And of course, if you have pastoral needs, I will gladly talk and pray with you. So please get in touch and we need to know that you're listening and truly benefiting from this ministry on your station at this time. So please go to our church website, ltbs.ca, for all the information. And may the Lord bless you. Until the next time, we let the Bible speak.